0: Welcome to Bitverse Byte, a weekly podcast about the web industry, tools and techniques upcoming and in use today. My name is Adam Listek, a web developer from Northern California and Central Illinois. Let's get into some news. So net neutrality was officially repealed this past Monday. The uh, FCC officially enacted the rollback of the rules that were passed back in 2015. But There are still a lot of pending lawsuits and congressional action that can still come out of this. So what's the current state right now? Well, currently, 36 states have proposed or passed resolutions since the new rules were adopted. Now, six of those states have issued executive orders that require that ISPs to contract with the state government confirm that they will meet the 2017 requirements. Additionally, 22 state attorney generals have sued the FCC to overturn the Restoring Internet Freedom Order in the courts. And there's also the Markey Bill, which has passed the Senate but faces an uphill battle in the House, let alone being signed by the president. So the fight is far from over, but has a ways to go. My take on this is that with the proliferation of different potential rules in each of the states, it really pushes the ISPs, you know, to have a single overriding court order, uh, probably on the line of having net neutrality even if it's not in their best interests because it's going to be far hard, harder for them to actually comply with all of the different regulations cuz everything's a bit different. So each state's passing their own version of the bill basically. So it's going to be really a smart move for them to try to get the House and the Senate to actually pass a real law that kind of encompasses everything, and it's going to have to be uh, pro-consumer because it won't pass otherwise. So it will be interesting to watch what happens and to see now that the actual net neutrality order is rescinded what this will actually show going forward for businesses. So kind of going along with that same uh, bit of News that came out, AT&T and Time Warner have been approved to merge. So shortly after the repeal of net neutrality came kind of an unexpected ruling that allows the merger of AT&T and Time Warner to continue without any actual conditions on their merger. So this deal closed on this past Thursday. And AT&T in the past has already gotten close, even under the rules, to the zero rating uh, rules that allowed customers, for example, to stream direct TV content without hitting data caps. So what is zero rating? It's the exemption of certain content on networks from data caps. This means that like say, and T owned property or content could be streamed on their phone for no data usage. But if you want to stream, say Netflix, it would use up your data. So naturally, most people might prefer to use what net you know and T is offering, they don't use up their data, which, of course, kind of pushes people away from Netflix over to AT&T's own content in the ecosystem. It remains to be seen kind of how this will play out, but Comcast has already just made a huge bid to buy Fox, and this would further consolidate the market and remove even more competition. I think that out of any of the rules that net neutrality actually was trying to protect, Zero rating is one of those that is going to be kind of insidious, as it's a way for these uh, content, well, ISPs and now content providers, to push people away from competitors by using their own networks. So we'll have to be uh, closely watched, and especially to see how possible, you know, legislation uh, might be further pushed along once they see what companies are doing with this. So Google, on, uh, also this past Thursday, announced that their low-code tool AppMaker is now out of beta and generally available. It allows any G Suite business and enterprise subscription user to use it. So it's basically a way to create applications by folks who aren't programmers or developers. This way applications needed for line of business needs can be done much quicker. I've used a tool called NAC in the past that is similar. And it can really cut down on the time to create a simple application that fits a business need rather than developing one from scratch for you know, and needing to do all the kind of stuff you would in that case, which is what framework do I use, what language do I use, that kind of stuff. Something to check out if you have that type of need. So I found a couple of useful links and resources. Uh, one of the very cool ones uh, on a post by the always excellent CSS Tricks site is one about using Unicode symbols or characters as tiling patterns. So it's pretty a pretty awesome uh, tutorial or write-up on what you can do using CSS properties such as transform and pseudo-content in combination with the relatively new CSS grid setup. Uh, Check it out there is a lot of possibilities for sites to use this technique and a lot more Uh, Cool displays, and I thought you could even do with this type of thing. It's basically taking, you know, Unicode characters, which is like, say, the letter A, um, and using grid and CSS properties to either move them or tile them or combine them in a way that is very unique. Check it out. It's really, really a cool technique. A GitHub user Jesse Pollock created this very cool CSS and JS only credit card entry form. It does these kind of cool animations as you put in your card number, and you know, detecting is it a Mastercard or you know, is it a Visa, and it doesn't use any images, uh, but it, it can really take your e-commerce form perhaps up another level in terms of design. Uh, but just another uh, unique tool um, and design element to add to it. Not the first time this thing has been done, but another alternative uh, if you're kind of looking for that kind of design polish. So if you do a lot of work with Git source control, you may be worried about inadvertently adding some internal secret key or code to your repository, or you've done it before. Uh, There's a simple Go language utility uh, called Git Leaks. To search for those types of uh, content that you can be alerted and scrub that data before it makes it into the wild. If you've ever done this or you've seen this done you know that it would be really handy to have a tool to kind of look for those types of uh, keys or secret codes as if you're working with a lot of code in a large repository it can sometimes be very hard to uh, make sure that you're not doing something uh, dangerous, such as leaving a constant of an internal key around or something like that. So it's GitLeaks, G-I-T, as in git source control. Uh, check it out. Very cool. Links, as always, will be in the description and show notes, so check it out. So I wanted to talk about something I briefly uh, touched on with uh, the Google App Maker news, um, and that's low-code solutions. So with the release of Google App Maker, it started me thinking about my own experiences using low-code solutions, how they might impact me as a developer and others, and what I might traditionally create can now be done by my customers instead. So first, what is a low-code solution? Well, it's a piece of software that allows a non-technical or non-developer to create an application that can store and process data, take action on that data and it's meant to allow for the rapid creation of tools without lengthy development times. So initially, the thought is that it may take away a lot of that low-hanging fruit or simpler applications that developers might be normally asked to produce. Generally, though, in practice, what I've seen is that a lot of these types of workflows, there are processes that really need to be tracked in a better manner. You know, think approval workflows, but it was just too costly to hire a developer especially for small business, for what is probably a pretty simple application. Therefore, the project really never gets started, and whatever the older, less optimized process is, continues. So it really is a way to empower the business side to take some control and create tools to help their project along. What this might help to create for developers is an opportunity to focus on, say, integrations with those tools, higher-level data analysis, or just more interesting projects Because now the funds may be freed up to do that, since the needs for lower-level applications are being met by these low-code solutions. I do think that it is certainly in the best interests of businesses to now have this type of flexibility, and it can create the opportunity for a developer to become an expert in creating those flows and applications. It may be a tad less on the development side, but that's not necessarily a bad thing because really the goal is to create you know, an awesome, useful product for the customer, and this could just be another tool in that kit. So how do I see this playing out going forward? Well, for simple applications, tools like Knack, uh, one I've used before, and Google App Maker, or a Zoho Creator, which is another alternative, will be great for customers to create what they need. Many of them are still trying to find their pricing niche and to what market segment they're catering towards, either small business or enterprise customers. There are also a few bigger products out there that are quote-unquote low-code, but really seem to be very large development environments that just abstract away a lot of the underlying development coding. And it's more of a rapid uh, development environment, and it seems like a lot of them focus on mobile. But these tools are quite expensive, easily getting into the many thousands to nearly 100,000 range, depending on what your user count is and how far your products will reach. But this means that there will probably be soon a lot of competition in this field, especially as businesses are just now learning about these tools and products and how they might really help their workflows. Especially if perhaps they need more of a business-oriented individual to help them figure this out and how to work it into a low-codes tool. And kind of on that note as to what developers might be able to say add into their portfolio with these kind of tools is perhaps as I kind of touched on before, they might be worried, you know, working on integrations with other APIs and things. So a lot of these tools allow you to do JavaScript, for example, and interact with an API their own. Well, oftentimes they won't have like a specific uh, widget or item to work in another product out there. So you as a developer could then say, okay, I'm going to integrate this tool with, say, uh, Google Maps or uh, weather you know, data uh, via an API there. And you can use your knowledge that you would no- normally be spending creating kind of this entire tool ground up to just create the API side and bring that information and data into the tool. Furthermore, it's kind of a a way for you to, as a developer, perhaps to really look at their process and what they need. It's more of a business analyst type role, but I've learned that that really helps you as a developer to kind of learn how to speak to, you know, the customer in terms of really nailing down what their process is and what they need. And so as you kind of work through them to learn all about, you know, what they're trying to accomplish with a tool like this, You will also better yourself as a developer, you know, for the larger projects to really learn, well, how can I hit the exact requirements that they want in the best possible way? But now you can do it for a smaller business that will have a larger impact because maybe they couldn't afford to do this kind of tool earlier on. But now that they're able to and you can help shepherd that project, you know, and process along, they'll be able to and really get some real value out of it. So it may look at first to be taking away work from developers but I see this as another opportunity for developers to create some kind of new business opportunities and really empower businesses to take better control of their processes which really so many badly need especially in the small business world as a lot of folks just don't have the time or the technical you know know how to really figure out how technology can be used to empower them and create you know, a better process for them. So I'll end there, but follow this podcast on Twitter at BitVByte and Facebook at slash BitVByte. Thank you for listening, and please join us next week.